1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 1. Saul reigned one year, and when he had reigned two years over Israel, Saul chose for himself 3,000 men of Israel. 2,000 were with Saul in Mishmash and in the mountains of Bethel, and 1,000 were with Jonathan in Gibeah of Benjamin. The rest of the people he sent away, every man to his tent. Here in verse 1, we see Saul reigning one year, and then he reigned two years. That would seem a little confusing, and obviously there's a translation issue going on there. The NIV translates it this way. When Saul, when Saul became king, he was 30 years old, and he reigned for 42 years. The Apostle Paul would indicate that Saul reigned for 40 years in Acts chapter 13, verse 21. And then this would indicate, too, that Saul is in his second year of reigning. While there's a little bit of confusion, to make it really simple for you, basically what it's saying is Saul's in about his second year of reigning. He's been king for about a year, maybe two, he's in the second year. So he's, he's still pretty new at this king thing. But he's come far enough to where he's established an army. He's got certain men, he's got choice men, rather than having the hodgepodge of men, anybody that would volunteer, he's got a certain group of guys that he's put together, and this is his army that he's going to use to defend these cities of Israel, these, this, this nation of Israel, and uh, they're separated uh, strategically. 2,000 men are with uh, Saul in Mishmash, and, the, uh, and there's 1,000 men with Saul's son Jonathan in Gibeah of Benjamin. Just as a reminder to kind of make sure everyone's clear on what's taking place in the condition of Israel at this time. Remember, they wanted this king, and now God has given them this king, and they have been intermixing, intermarrying, and the Philistines have really been oppressing the nation Israel for quite some time. Um, as a matter of fact, a lot of the, a lot of the Israelites have defected and, and are now are going to be fighting for the Philistines. They have so intermarried and intermixed and inter, you know, they've been oppressing them. They, they've been underneath the thumb of the Philistines. And, and the Lord wants to use Saul, wants to bring them out from underneath of that. But what's taking place is the Philistines have kept a really, really tight hold over Israel. One of the things that they refused to let Israel do was have anything to do with uh, iron. Israel wasn't allowed to have swords, or they weren't allowed to make swords. So, so the, the Philistines required them to come to them if they needed to sharpen a sword, they needed to sharpen a goad, anything, any of their, their, their tools they used to till the field or anything like that. If they needed something metalworking done, they had to go to the Philistines. And this kept Israelites from producing weapons of war. So they were really at a disadvantage when it came to the Philistines. And like I said, there was actually some of the Israelites had switched sides and they were now battling with the Philistines. So this country is kind of, it's kind of a hodgepodge of, of, of people. There's not, a, there's not a clear delineation like there should be. And as they're doing this, Saul is trying to bring this back. And we saw last week as he had gone up against um, Ammonites, Nahash and the Ammonite king. Two weeks ago, he went up against Nahash and the Ammonites. And then in chapter 12 last week, we saw where they went up to Gilgal to sort of to give the country back to the Lord, to sort of recommit to the Lord, and, and they were going to kind of do this. And now, time frame that's gone by has been about a year, maybe two years at the most. Saul's sort of establishing himself as king, and we're going to see the true side of Saul. To this point, when we've seen Saul make decisions, they've been pretty good choices. He's been following the Lord. We saw his humility. Remember, he was hiding. He didn't even want to be king. I'm not qualified to be king. And we saw him when, the, when those that spoke out against him after his victory, they said, we, we should kill them. Saul said, no, we're not going to kill anybody. The, Lord, the Lord's the one that gave us the victory. Well, Saul's changed a little bit in the last couple of years. He's become a little more, well, I can do it on my own. I don't really need the Lord as much. And we're going to see that tonight. Now, as they're separated here, the, the tribes are separated. I mean, the, the, 
the men of war are separated. Chapter, or verse 3 tells us, Jonathan attacked the garrison of the Philistines that was in Geba. And the Philistines heard of it. Then Saul blew the trumpet throughout all the land, saying, Let the Hebrews hear. Now all Israel heard it and said Saul had attacked a garrison of the Philistines. And Israel had also become an abomination of the Philistines. And the people were called together to Saul at Gilgal. Remember, Jonathan is Saul's son. So Jonathan is in the area of Geba, which is half, halfway between where they were. It's halfway between Mishmash and, uh, and uh, where did I say they were? 2,000 with Saul and Mishmash and 1,000 with Jonathan in Gibeah. So what we have is we have Jonathan and Saul separated. Jonathan attacks some of the enemies here. And uh, he's attacked some of the Philistines. And he has, as he's attacking them, we see Saul do something interesting. What does Saul do? Well, Saul blows the trumpet as if he's the one doing the attacking. He's taking credit for what Jonathan's doing. As a matter of fact, we read here, the word goes throughout all the nation. All Israel heard it and said that Saul had attacked a garrison of the Philistines. So he's really kind of trying to take the credit for what Jonathan Jonathan has done. But Saul says something interesting. In verse 3 at the end, he says, let the Hebrews hear. And the implication there is he's trying to bring the Hebrews back on his side. He's trying to bring those Jewish people that have, I hate to say they defected, they just always kind of been in that culture. And because the cultures have been intermixed for so long, that's just kind of the way that they grew up. And they had joined the Philistine army, and that's, that's who they were doing battle for. But he's trying to call them back to, back to their roots, if you will. Come back, to, come back to Israel. Fight for Israel. Come back. Now, you can imagine what that would be a good thing for him. And words going out that, that Saul has done this, and Israel has also become an abomination to the Philistines. That's the second thing, words going out. Saul's done this. The next thing that they're hearing about Saul is he's become an abomination to the Philistines. Jonathan attacked. Saul tried to take credit for it. Saul blows the trumpet. He says, let the Hebrews hear in an attempt to call the, call the, the Hebrews back to himself. All Israel heard that, the, that Saul had done this attack on the Philistines. And they also heard that the Israelites had become an abomination to the Philistines. That means that they were, they were no longer compliant to the Philistines. They were sort of standing up for themselves. They were no longer doing what they were told. They were, they were sort of rebelling against what the Philistines wanted. So they'd actually become an abomination to the Philistines. And the people were all called together to Saul at Gilgal. Now, verse 5. Then the Philistines gathered together to fight with Israel. 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, and people as the sand which is on the seashore in multitude. And they came up and they encamped in Mishmash to the east of Beth-Avon. Now, just to kind of give you a perspective, some people say it's not really 30,000 chariots. They just say it's 3,000 chariots. But either way, there's a whole lot of people that have come up against the nation Israel. So much so, as Saul blew this trumpet, he sort of sounded a battle cry. And the Philistines come out and say, uh-uh, we're not going to take this. So they bring their superior weapons, their chariots, their horsemen. The Israelites didn't even have swords. They weren't allowed to produce iron. They weren't allowed to make their own swords. All they had were sticks and rocks and clubs and whatever they could gather off the land. So they didn't even have swords. Some of them did. You'll see that Saul had a sword and the kings have swords and certain, certain people within the army had swords, but the general population of the army didn't even have the, the battle necessities that the Philistines would have. So Philistines hear what's going on. They're not real happy about it. They gather 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, and people as the sand which is on the seashore in multitudes. If you can imagine looking out over a plain and seeing just people everywhere. 
That's what it would look like. Like you would look out over a beach and what do you see? Just sand everywhere you look. There's just, there's just people everywhere. People's everywhere they're looking for. As for Saul, he's still in Gilgal. All the people followed him. Oh, I didn't even finish this. Verse 6. Go up to verse 6. When the men of Israel saw that they were in danger, for the people were distressed, then the people hid in caves, in thickets, in rocks, in holes, and in pits. And some of the Hebrews crossed over the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. So what's taking place is as the Philistines rise up in response to Jonathan's attack, all of a sudden the Israelites, they're scared to death. Some of them actually cross over the Jordan River and go, we're out of here. We're packing our bags. We're taking our family. We're not even going to be around here anymore. We don't want to hear. We don't want to stick around and see what God does. We don't want to see what Saul does. We're just packing up and moving on. Some of them are hiding in holes. They're hiding in caves, which means any, any, anywhere they could go to be hidden, they were just trying to get out of the way. And what you see here portrayed is a picture of a nation that is trembling, a nation that is scared, a nation that is just, we don't know what to do. And, and they're, they're literally running for their lives or fearing for their lives. But Saul, Saul's down in Gilgal, and all the people followed him trembling. Then he waited seven days according to the time set by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal. Wait a second. Saul's now down in Gilgal, and it tells us here that he waited seven days. He was waiting on Samuel. Back in chapter 10, back in chapter 10, we read this. After Saul was anointed king by Samuel, in verse 8, he said, you shall go down before me to Gilgal, and surely I will come to you to offer burnt offerings and make sacrifices of peace offerings. Seven days you shall wait till I come to you and show you what you should do. Some people believe this is the seven days they're referring to, where, where Samuel gave this command to Saul and says, go down to Gilgal, wait for seven days. Other people look at this and say, wait a minute, there's been a couple years that's passed by. There's been a lot of time passed by. I think this is a, something that Samuel did frequently. When there was a battle, when he needed to hear from the Lord, you go to Gilgal and you wait for me seven days. And I'll show up at, within seven days and I'll let you know what the Lord wants you to do. You see, what it was, it was Saul's way of showing obedience to the Lord. He was showing allegiance to God. God, what do you want me to do? I'll go to Gilgal, I'll wait on the Lord, I'll wait on Samuel. Samuel will come and tell me what the Lord wants me to do, and then I will walk in obedience to the Lord. Could be either one of those things. So here in our, in our scripture tonight, we have, we have Saul waiting. We have Saul waiting. His, his world is sort of falling around behind him. The people are scared. He goes to Gilgal. He's waiting seven days. He's there waiting seven days on Samuel. Saul's still in Gilgal. The people follow him, followed him are trembling. He waits seven days according to the time set by Samuel. But, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal. And the people were scattered from him. In verse 9, it says, So Saul said, Bring a burnt offering and a peace offering here to me. And he offered the burnt offering. Now it happened. Wait a second. Saul shouldn't, shouldn't have done that, should he? Why not? Because Saul's not a priest. And according to the Old Testament, only the priests were able to offer, make the offerings to God. So what was supposed to take place is Saul was supposed to go to Gilgal, wait for Samuel. When Samuel got there, Samuel would make the offering to the Lord. And Samuel would be the one that would direct Saul in what the Lord wanted him to do next. But Saul comes down there. Saul comes down there, and he's waiting for Samuel for seven days, and he can't wait any longer. He's had enough waiting, so he decides, well, I'll just take matters into my own hands. I'll just do it myself. I'll do it myself. You see, what it had become is a religious routine. 
When I need to hear from the Lord, I do X, Y, and Z, and then I move, on, and I move forward. And so Saul's down there, he takes matters into himself, to, into his own hands, thinking everything will be fine. If Samuel can do it, I can do it, right? No, that's not God's way. God said there's, the priests are the ones that are supposed to make the offerings, make the sacrifices to me. That's how, remember when we said you have to approach God the way that God wants you to approach him? And you, have to, you have to worship God in the system that he created? You can't create your own God and create your own system. Well, you could, but it won't be the God of the Bible. So as the people here, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, as, as Sam, Saul comes down here, he goes ahead and he makes this offering on his own, and it ha- says in verse 10, now it happened as soon as he had finished presenting the bird offering that Samuel came. Isn't that the way it goes? Saul does everything, he's probably just cleaning up, and here comes Samuel. What does that tell you? Saul pulled the trigger a little bit too early. The seven days weren't ended, he just couldn't wait any longer. Saul, what? Listen, do you guys like waiting? No, most of us don't like waiting. Saul is here, he's waiting. He's been told by Samuel, go down there and wait seven days. On the seventh day, I don't know what time it was. Samuel doesn't show up on time, so I'm going to take matters into my own hands. And he begins this religious routine that he'd seen done in the past, and all of a sudden, as he finishes it up, here comes Samuel. And he sees it. What do you think Saul does? Uh-oh. What do I do? What, what, what should he do next? Look what he does. The last half of verse 10. Saul went out to meet him that he might greet him. He went out to meet him that he might greet him. So here's what Saul does. In my mind, here's what I see. Saul's just finishing the sacrifices. He's just finishing the offerings. He sees Samuel coming in the distance. Oh, I'll just go act like nothing happened. I'll just let him do it again. Nobody's going to know the difference, right? I'll just, I'll just go meet Samuel like it's no big deal, and we'll just, we'll just pretend it never happened, and he can do his thing. And All right, so I, I, I jumped the gun a little bit early. That's okay. Just let him do it again. So he goes out to meet Samuel, and I think it's as if nothing had ever happened. And look what Samuel says. Samuel said, what have you done? What have you done, Saul? And when someone says that to you, what happens? What are you doing? Here comes the excuses, right? It's, it's, let's make some excuses. Let's justify our position. Let's, let, we have a reason for what we're doing. Let me give you my reasons. And that's what Saul does in verse 11. Saul said, when I saw the people were scattered from me, number one, but you did not come within the days appointed, number two, and the Philistines gathered together at Mishmash, number three, then I said, the Philistines will now come down on me at Gilgal, and I have not made supplication to the Lord. Therefore, I felt compelled, and I offered a burnt offering. Did you see the excuses? There was four of them there. There was four excuses Saul gives to uh, Samuel. When I saw the people had scattered from me, Samuel, I couldn't wait any longer. These people had spread out. They're hiding in rocks and holes. Some of them even crossed over the Jordan. I, I, I can't wait. I couldn't wait any longer. Your timing was terrible, Samuel. I couldn't wait. That was his first excuse. The second excuse, the second excuse that he gives there is the Philistines gathered together at Mishmash. Samuel, you didn't. You got to understand. They're, I'm, I'm a king. I've got to defend this nation. I've got responsibilities. I've got things I have to take care of. And the enemy was coming up against me. And they might have come down and beat me at Gilgal. And I really needed to take care. I had to make some command decisions here. That was a second excuse. He should have waited on the Lord, shouldn't he? Like he was told to do in the first place. His third excuse. Uh, and the Philistines. Oh, I'm sorry. The second excuse was this: that he, you did not come within the days appointed. You didn't come within the days appointed. Samuel, you said you'd be here in seven days. And what do you think Samuel's going? It's the seventh day. I'm here. 
yeah, but, but I thought you'd be here by noon. Well, it's only 2 o'clock or 3 o'clock or 4 o'clock. The day's not over. I, I told you I'd be there on the seventh day. And you went, in, you went ahead without me. Yeah, but I, I, I figured you weren't coming. I figured something held you up. And you can see the line of excuses following Saul. And look at the last excuse. It says, then I said, the Philistines will now come down on me at Gilgal, and I have not made supplication to the Lord. The Philistines are going to come get us. Listen, Samuel, I was thinking about this, and in my mind, what I envision happening is the Philistines are going to come down, and they're going to wipe us out at Gilgal. And I hadn't made the sacrifice. I hadn't made supplication to the Lord yet. So I just went ahead and took, took things over. And it probably really doesn't matter anyways, right? I want to share something with you. Saul was told to do something that none of us like to do. Saul was told to go down to Gilgal and wait. This is not Saul trying to figure out what the Lord wants him to do. That's a different area or different perspective in our Christian walk. This is a, this is a person that was said where, the, where he heard from the Lord or from the prophet of the Lord, you go down to Gilgal and you wait seven days. And he had a problem with that. Because he took his eyes off what he was supposed to be doing. He took his eyes off the Lord and he began looking around at his circumstances against and around his situation. The first thing as he looks around, the first thing that he sees is that the people were scattering from me. All my friends were leaving me. All my support was leaving me. Everybody that I counted on was leaving me. And I felt I had to do something. Listen, have you ever been in a time... The Lord tells you, I want you to wait. I want you to wait. You're in a season in life, not a season where I'm trying to figure out what to do. That's different. This is a time where the Lord has said to you, this is a time of waiting. This is a time where God wants you to wait for whatever reason it is. I want you to wait. When you're waiting on the Lord, don't be distracted by the people around you. That's what Saul was doing. He was being distracted by what everybody else was doing. By the fact that the people are leaving. By the fact that the enemy's encamping. He's worried about what everybody else is doing. And he's trying to figure out his situation based on what everybody else is doing. If you're in a position of waiting where you're supposed to be waiting on the Lord, do not get distracted by what other people are doing. Be clear about that. Don't listen to the advice of other people. Don't listen to what they have to say. Don't watch what they're doing. Don't try to go after them. They aren't, they're not the ones you're waiting for. You're waiting on the Lord, and that's what Saul was called to do. Wait on the Lord. The second excuse, the second distraction that Saul has in his life is very clear. It's time frame. It's an issue of time. Samuel said he'd be down in seven days. And Saul couldn't wait seven days. Seven days. You think, I could wait seven days. You can't even wait five minutes at a drive-thru without getting annoyed if they're taking too long. Listen. Sometimes the Lord will give you a time frame to wait, and sometimes he won't. Sometimes it's just flat out wait. You're in a season of waiting. If you're in that season of waiting, you need to understand something. God's not working within your time frame. He's going to work within his own time frame. That waiting might be longer than you expect it to be. It might be shorter than you expect it to be. But whatever it is, you need to be determined to wait on him. You need to be waiting. So don't be distracted by, your, by, your, by the people around you. Don't be distracted by the length of time that you have to wait. Don't, be, don't let it go by a week, two weeks, three months, six months, a year, two years. I don't know. Whatever the length of time is that God has you waiting, just wait. 
Be patient and wait on him. Don't get distracted. Don't think, well, it's been so long and I'm waiting and I'm, I'm looking over at this person and they're not, they had to wait, but they're done waiting and now God's really doing something in their life and I'm still sitting over here waiting and, and God, when are you going to keep me from waiting? He might be trying to teach you something in that waiting. Don't get distracted by the people. Don't get distracted by the time length. What else distracted Saul? The enemy. The enemy's encampment around him distracted Saul. If you're waiting, don't get distracted by the enemy. Don't care about what the enemy's doing. Don't focus. Sometimes people can get so focused on what the enemy's doing or what their enemies are doing, they're not focusing on the Lord. If, if the enemy can get you focused on him or her, then you're not focusing on the Lord. If, I, if I'm in a series or if I'm in a position of waiting, I want to make sure I am not getting distracted by the enemy. I don't care what the enemy's doing because I'm waiting on my God. And my God is bigger than the enemy. My God can take the enemy. And it might look like I'm losing at this point, this battle in life. It might look like Saul's thinking I'm in trouble. Saul's thinking I can't make it. If I don't do something right now, it's never going to work out. He forgot how big God was. He forgot. God's the one in control. What was he supposed to be doing? Waiting on Samuel. But again, he's listening, he's looking at the people around him. He's distracted by the length of time waiting. Apparently, he thought, well, seven days wasn't, should have come and gone, and, and Samuel wasn't there. But it, it, Samuel wasn't done. As soon as Saul finished, Samuel shows up right on time. Isn't that the way the Lord does it? He always waits to the last minute. Why? Because he wants to test you. That's what a walk of faith is about. Will you wait and walk with him? Or are you sitting there like, Saul, if I don't do anything, Lord, you've got to show up. Just be patient and be comforted and wait. It's not that big of a deal. So don't be distracted by the people around you. Don't be distracted by the length of time you have to wait. Don't be distracted by the enemy. And listen, the next thing Saul, the next biggest mistake he made, did you see what he did? Look what he says. Then I said, the Philistines will now come down on me at Gilgal. He starts predicting the future. He starts, his mind goes through what could happen. He starts looking, well, if, if I don't do something now, then the Philistines are going to come down on me in Gilgal. I'm here waiting for the Lord. I'm supposed to be a king. I'm supposed to be a military man. I'm supposed to lead my people into battle. If I don't do something now, then I'm going to, get, I'm going to lose right here in Gilgal. His mind ran wild, and he started believing the lies that his mind was telling him. If I don't do something right now, they're going to come get me at Gilgal, and I'll never have a chance. What should he have done? Waited. Do you know how when you're waiting, if you've ever had to wait for any length of time, your mind goes crazy. Your mind thinks of all kinds of things. Well, what if this happens? What if that happens? What if this happens? If, if he does this, then she'll do that. If she does this, then I'll do that. If this happens, I'll do that. That's not the way the Lord wants it to work. The Lord wants us to just sit patiently and wait. Lord, here I am. You told me to wait. You told me to wait, and here I sit and wait. Again, I want to stress something. This is not, we're going to see next week as the Lord directs Jonathan on how to be obedient, how Jonathan approaches the will of the Lord. When he's, Jonathan's really going to be seeking, saying, God, what do you want me to do in a situation? That's not what Saul is. Saul knows what he's supposed to be doing. Saul has a clear order. Wait. Go to Gilgal and wait for me for seven days. He can't. And his last excuse, the fourth excuse he gives is because his mind runs wild, and he conjures up these ideas about the enemy. And again, his mind, his eyes, his focus is on everything around him except God. How could he have combated this? What about worship? 
What about worshiping while you're waiting? What about worshiping? You know, I'm in a season where I have to wait. God's told me to wait. I'm going to be a worshiper. I'm not going to look at my friends and the people around me. I don't want to hear their advice. I don't want to hear what the world has to say. I don't want to hear what Oprah has to say or Dr. Phil or, or any of the other psychologists on TV. I'm waiting on God because he's told me to wait, and I'm waiting for my next step. So I'm going to worship while I'm waiting. The next thing I'm going to do is just simply wait. I have to tell my kids, waiting is doing something. Waiting is, 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 waiting is not doing anything. You have this idea in your head that waiting, waiting is it's nothing. It, it, it's a, it's, I'm wasting time. No, you're not. Wait, waiting is not wasting time whatsoever. Waiting is something active and it's something productive. Get that through your head. If you're waiting, you are actively being productive. You're do, being obedient in what God called you to do. Don't let your body or your mind tell you, I'm not doing anything. You're being obedient, which is something. Wait, wait. What else should I be doing while I'm waiting? You should be praying. You should be praying, asking the Lord for his will, because look what happens here to Saul. Samuel, after Saul gives his excuses, Samuel said to Saul, you, you've done foolishly. You've done foolishly, Saul. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Listen, if you're in a season of waiting, Saul's biggest mistake here, is, and we see it right here, the Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. That doesn't mean that the man or the woman has the perfect heart of God. It means the man or the woman that's waiting wants the heart of God. It means you're trying to understand the heart of God. It means you, you want to know, how, God, how do you see this situation? God, how do you see these people? God, what do, what, would, what do you want me to do in this situation? You see, nobody has the perfect heart of God, but do you have a heart? Are you a man or a woman after God's heart? Is it his heart you desire? Is it his ways that you desire? Is it his will that you desire? Or are you just trying to get him to do your will or do your ways? You see, God wants people that want to be like him. That want, to, that want to know what his heart is, that want to know what, what's important to him. Because I can tell you from experience, and you would probably agree with me, the things that are important to God are not always the things that are important to people. A man or a woman after God's own heart is interested in pleasing God, not pleasing people. A man or a woman after God's own heart wants, is, it wants to do the will of God, not the will of man. A man's after God, or a woman after God's own heart is willing to be obedient to what God says to do. While you're waiting, when you're worshiping and you're waiting, be praying, and be praying specifically that you would have the heart of God, that you could see the situation the way God sees it. Get the right perspective on life. Because the truth is, as Saul's sitting here waiting, he's being overwhelmed by the people, he's being overwhelmed by the situation, and he's not focused on God, he's not seeing the big picture. He's just looking at the people around him. If he could turn his heart from the people to God, he would be able to see who God is, he would realize how great God is and how mighty God is, and he would look at his enemies and the people around him and go, my God can just squish you. My God could take you out like that. I'm not worried about you. I'm more interested in being obedient to God. If you're waiting, focus your heart on God. If you've got something you're waiting on, be focused and be purposeful in your waiting. Don't be distracted by the people around you. Don't be distracted by the length of time you're waiting. Don't be distracted by the enemy. 
don't be satisfied with a religious routine. You see, Saul just went after the religious routine. I need to meet with God. I'll just do what I've always done. I'll just do what I've seen modeled to me. I'll just do this thing. I'll, I'll pray this prayer. I'll do this thing. I'll go to church. And no, that, that's not what God wants. He doesn't want religious routine. He wants your heart. He wants to meet with you personally. And don't try to predict the future on what God's going to do. Only God knows what he's going to do. And I can tell you in my life, as I've waited many times, once it's finally revealed to me, it's usually nothing I considered in my mind anyways. It's usually, some, uh, it, it's usually much better than I could ever imagine. And it's something, that, it's, a, it's a something for me or for my life or for my family that he has that I couldn't even fathom. I couldn't even see a way out. I couldn't figure a way out. But God understands. God knows. So what do we do when we're waiting? We worship, we pray, and we remain obedient in other areas of our life. We have to remain obedient to the things that the Lord has called us to do. We don't go looking for the answers. We just simply wait on the Lord. Saul here brings me to another point. The consequences for not waiting can be great. When God says wait, and you say, I can't wait that long, and you go off on your own, Look what Saul lost. He lost the entire kingdom. He lost the entire kingdom. The implication there is that if God has called you to a place of waiting, he's waiting, he's preparing, he's working for something in your future. If you can't wait any longer and you exchange what he has for what you have, it's going to be disastrous. That's what Saul's doing. He's exchanging what the Lord has for him for what he thinks is the best decision. And we see here, Samuel says to him, but now your kingdom shall not continue. Your kingdom's not going to continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. That's what the Lord wants. The Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. You have not kept what the Lord commanded you. May that never be said about us. In your time of waiting, where God has you in a certain place at a certain time, where people are talking in your ear and all this is going on, may it never be said of you that you didn't wait like you were supposed to. Trust me, it'll be worth it on the other side. Verse 15, Samuel arose and he went up from Gilgal to Gibeah of Benjamin. And I think he arose very uh, downtrodden. I think he arose with a heavy heart. Samuel arose and he leaves Gilgal and he goes to Gibeah of Benjamin and Saul numbered the people present with him about 600 men from 2,000 to 600. He lost 1,400 men. Saul, Jonathan, his son, and the people were present with them remained in Gibeah of Benjamin, but the Philistines encamped in Mishmash. Then raiders came out of the camp of the Philistines in three companies. One company turned on to the road of Ophrah in the land of Shual. Another company turned to the road of Bethhoven. Another company turned to the road of the border that overlooks the valley of Zeboim toward the wilderness. So they came, out of, they came out of Mishmash in three different directions coming after the Israelites. And then verse 19 tells us, There was no blacksmith to be found throughout all the land of Israel. For the Philistines said, Let the Hebrews make swords or spears. But all the Israelites would go down to the Philistines to sharpen each man's plowshare, his mattock, his axe, his sickle. The charge for a sharpening was a pim for the plowshowers, the mattocks, the forks, and the axes, and to set points on the goads. So it came about on the day of battle that there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any of the people 
who were with Saul and Jonathan. But they were found with Saul and Jonathan his son, and the garrison of the Philistines went out to the pass of Mishmash. The nation Israel is severely underarmed. They're outnumbered, they're underarmed, and now their leader is not even waiting on the Lord anymore. Now I want to point one other thing out for you. We read in the beginning Saul would be king for 40 years, over 40 years in the nation Israel. Over 40 years. But yet here we see in his second year, he knows up front the kingdom will be taken from your hand. Your son Jonathan will never be king. All because of the stupid thing that you did. Because you weren't willing to wait like I asked you to wait. Again, he's looking at all the circumstances around him. He sees the outnumbering. And we're going to, well, we don't have time to look at it tonight, but the battle starts next week. And we're going to see something interesting next week. As we see that Jonathan is going to pursue the will of the Lord as well. Jonathan is going to approach the Lord and he's going to try to figure out, Lord, what do you want me to do in this situation? You see, the difference between what, we're going, what we saw this week with Saul and what we'll see next week with Jonathan is that Saul knew what he was supposed to do and didn't do it. Saul knew that he was supposed to wait and didn't wait. Jonathan is going to be facing a battle and he's going to truly come out and see, Lord, what is it that you want me to do? He's going to have a heart after the Lord. He's looking for the Lord's heart. Lord, will you direct me in what it is that you want me to do? You know, that needs to be our heart as believers. I have to have a heart and you have to have a heart. Lord, what do you want us to do? Individually, as a fellowship corporately, what is it that you want us to do, Lord? That's what I want you guys to understand from this. Wherever the Lord has you, you might not be waiting tonight. You might have been waiting in previous parts of your life. Wherever he has from this, what Saul's downfall was two points. One, he didn't obey the command of the Lord. And second, he didn't have a heart after the Lord. He didn't, have, he didn't do either one of those things. We can learn from that. Sometimes in the scriptures we learn in the positive where we see the, we want to emulate what they're doing. We want to copy what they're doing. And sometimes we learn from the negative where we look at Saul and go, man, you didn't have a heart after God. You didn't obey the Lord. Listen, if you don't have those things, just ask for them. If you're not in obedience, get in obedience. If you don't have a heart after the Lord and you want it, ask for it. It's, it's real simple. He's not trying to hide anything from us. Let's pray and ask him. Father, as we close this study tonight, we see, the, we see Saul as an example for us. Lord, and he took his eyes off of you and he put them on his circumstance. He put them on the people around him. He put them on the battle, on the enemy. He was worried about the time frame. Lord, he even got lost in his own mind. Father, we do the same thing. Lord, we're so easily distracted from who you are and the fact that you do have a plan for us. And Lord, I just ask tonight, would this place, this fellowship, these people, even those that aren't here that are part of our church, Lord, would we, would we have a heart after you? Would we be purposeful about asking ourselves that question? Or would we, would we make every attempt to align our heart with yours, to align our life with your will? Lord, may we not get distracted this week, tomorrow, by the people around us. May we focus on the will of God. May we not get distracted by the enemy. May we focus on obedience. May, Lord, may we control our minds. May we not let them run wild with 
scenarios and circumstances that don't even exist. May we not worry about things that are, haven't even happened. But Lord, may our faith be in you. May we not consider the timing because your timing is perfect. Lord, may we consider the consequences of a failure to, diso- to obey. Lord, may we be people after your heart, walking in obedience. If we're not, would you correct us? Would you gently bring us back with your loving Holy Spirit? Just bring us back in line. In Jesus' name, amen.